0: All right, I want to tell you how my wife and I got together. You want to hear that story? I'm going to give you the short version. So, because it has a little bit to do with the spirit of revelation, this morning we prayed for a spirit of revelation. We, we declared the revelation of Jesus out over this campus, right? We want to be filled with the revelation of Jesus. Now, it's not just in that scripture in in uh, Ephesians one seventeen. it goes on to 18 and 19, that that prayer of Paul that the Holy Spirit wrote down and canonized for all of eternity. Like, this prayer we pray. Um, it says to, that we'd be filled with the spirit of wisdom and revelation that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened. Right? And so, okay, as we press into prayer, one of the things that we often have to reconcile with is, uh, is Timothy 1.17 7, 1 that says that he's invisible the immortal, invisible God, right? And so here we are, we're talking to God who is invisible, and we're praying for a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened. That suddenly there's a revelatory understanding in our inner man of who he is. So it's not necessarily something we'll see with our physical eyes. Though there are times where God's presence will manifest in our midst, and we will see Him in human, in physical forms. He came, you know, the Holy Spirit came in the form of a dove, or Jesus came in the form of a man, right? That like, there is forms of God that have been visible on the earth, the pillar of fire in the wilderness. But Timothy writes, you know, to the your Paul's writing to Timothy, the immortal, invisible God in in one seventeen. So. Prayer, yes, we are talking to one who is invisible. But by faith, we know that he is clearly there, right? And so a little bit about the spirit of revelation. So my wife and I, we actually both went to YWAM and did our same discipleship training school at the same time in the same class. It was about as big as you guys here. It's about, about 100 students were in our discipleship training school. And, uh, and then we both came back on staff with YWAM and we ministered in the same ministry team for the next three years, like there was like 15 of us that were like in a department together, but not just a, d- a department on the missions campus. We were a traveling mobile evangelism team. We spent eight months out of the year for those three years on the road, going from town to town, preaching the gospel, ministering to people, if any place from, you know, old folks' homes to youth groups to lock-ins to uh, Sunday morning services to public school assemblies. We were doing it all, right, as we went place to place to place. Her and I were a part of the same team, oblivious of each other. For three years. My heart got broken in those three years. I'll tell you more about that another time this week, but my heart went extremely broken by another gal that I thought for sure, and everybody else thought for sure, I was going to marry. But Holly didn't work out too well. <laughs> Some of you guys have had your Hollies. You know what I'm talking about. If your name is Holly, please. It's okay. You're not her. So, Holly didn't work out too well. <laughs> and so, I went back to the Lord after Holly didn't work out so well. And I'm like, God, I am so done. Like, one of my friends told me, he's like, Jason, I am so tired of you dating Christian girls that turn out to be rotten apples in the inside. I am done, Jason. I'm like, thanks, Glenn. You're making me feel real good. Like, all my friends are married, and I'm like now 26, and I'm not. And I'm trying to figure out what's going on. And um, so I went back to the Lord. I'm like, okay, God. It's like, clean slate, I'm starting over. Lord, what kind of girl has captured your heart? I want my heart to beat the same as your heart in all things on the earth. How much even more in this one, I want to find the gal that is one that has actually caught your eye and caught your heart. So I did a Bible study. This might sound very unromantic and very cold, but this is what I did. I did a Bible study of all the reputable women in the Bible, and I wrote down virtues and character traits. And I ended up with this list. It took me a couple weeks in my quiet times every morning. I ended up with this list. And then finally, I kind of wrapped up my Bible study, and I had a sense I was done. And the one morning, I'm in my quiet time, I'm like, okay, God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three in one. I need you all on this one, you know. And I'm like, God, I'm looking at this list. I'm like, is there anybody that I know that actually has these character traits or these virtues? I'm like, well, okay. And I wrote it in my journal. Okay, God, so I'm looking for somebody like Kimberly Vivian. I'm looking for somebody that's like her, right? All right. So, and I get up from my quiet time, and and I'm like, So over the next couple days, I began to realize the fallacy of my my little statement there. I'm like, I'm looking for somebody like her. Why am I not looking for her, right? (laughs) But the reality is, is I knew her for three years and nothing, there was no sparks flying, right? I was about four and a half years older than her. And so I kind of had this chip on my shoulder that, you know, I'm an older guy and all this stuff. Because I was 26, I was really old, you know? Anyhow, so a couple weeks pass. um, Well, next thing, I'm driving down the road one day, and we're going through Alabama, and the Lord's working on my heart, and suddenly there's this huge sign along the road that says Kimberly. (laughs) There's a town in Alabama called Kimberly, Alabama. And as I see that sign, my heart goes boom, boom, like I'm feeling the nudge of the Holy Spirit. And I I actually physically, like, looked in the rear view, like, the side view mirror of the van, just like, I don't see that sign. You know? I tried to ignore it because I'm like, I haven't had sparks for her ever. Like, what the deal, you know? And I'm like, okay, God, maybe I'm supposed to pursue her. But what about Sean? I'm his pastoral care leader, and he's had his eye on her for years. And she hasn't liked him. And he's confided in me. What do I do about Sean? The very... All right, and I'm his pastoral care leader. The very next day, I'm reading in my quiet time, Oswald Chambers, my utmost for his highest. And the devotional of the day is this. Sometimes your obedience will meet a cross for somebody else. (laughs) Jesus' cross meant Simon of Cyrene had to carry it for a little bit. Are you willing to lay down your reputation of not causing pain to others? And like, all right, well, Sean, check, check. I can trust God with him. Right? So, but finally, this, this came to this moment one night where her and I we were cleaning up, we were like doing like worship team teardown. And we were at the end of it, we were all done. And like, it was just like, hey, we're in ministry together. It was an administrative conversation about like what time we need to get up tomorrow, what time we need to be on the road, what details need to happen. And we're just talking, and all of a sudden, I realized that I'm looking right into her eyes, that something in my heart went, Ooh, she's pretty. <laughs> and she something happened in the inside, right? The more and more I considered her virtues, the prettier she got. Until finally there was this moment where I, her eyes caught mine and I had to force myself to look away. It was awkward. The very next night on the YWAM campus is our weekly family night. And whoever was moderating the the service that night, just to, to kick it off at the beginning, he invited, he's like, hey, if I could have two or three people just to come forward and just to pray a prayer of thanksgiving, just to dedicate this next meeting to the Lord. And she volunteers, which is kind of abnormal for her. She, at that point in life, was a little bit of an introvert. And so she gets up, she grabs the microphone, and this is the first thing out of her mouth. Jesus, I thank you that with one glimpse of our eye, your heart is totally captivated by us. And I'm thinking, she was quoting out of the book of Song of Songs where Jesus in the book of Song of Songs is saying, with one glimpse of your eye, my heart is captivated by you. What if we stare? Anyhow, right? And so I'm like, Jesus, that's what happened to me just last night. I asked for our hearts to beat the same. So I called my friend, Chris, back in Pennsylvania. I'm like, Chris, I think I'm supposed to be pursuing this girl named Kimberly. And he's like, all right, Jason, you've been girl crazy your whole life. I need you to hang up the phone for me, and I need you to be cool for a couple of weeks and do nothing. Can you do that for me? I said, okay, Chris, I'll do it. I hung up the phone, and I was cool for a couple of weeks. And then that's, from there, it just got crazier. And so eventually... God, I found out God was doing the same thing in her heart, opening her eyes to me. And we had the conversation. And she said, no, we're just friends. The next week, she's in, like, depression, right? And I'm like, I did something really, really awful to this girl. Well, a week later, she came back to me. And she's like, Jason, can we talk again? And she, she said, you know, if I'd like to reconsider. And my heart just wasn't ready yet. uh, But the more and more I consider it, I think I'd like to explore just what this relationship might be between you and I. And so we got together. Three months later, we were engaged. It happened quite quickly from there. Um, But here's my, here's my, now I knew this gal for three years, okay? We were in a traveling ministry team together for three years. so, So just a little bit of context. But this was the one thing I was looking for when we were dating. The one thing I was looking for that would seal the deal is if there would be a night where she'd diss me for Jesus. I was looking for the night where I'd be like, hey, let's go hang out. And she'd say, you know what? I really need to have a quiet time. It's been a little bit. And I feel like I need to connect with God. I was looking for that night. And sure enough, she did it <laughs> without me saying anything. That was my litmus test. If she does that to me and she disses me for Jesus, I'm going to marry her. And I did. And that's her story. But... But here's the thing, I was oblivious to her for three years. I have only one regret with Marion Kimberly, and that is that I didn't marry her sooner. But the reality is, is I didn't see her sooner. Do a personality test on God. Consider His virtues. Consider His character traits. And see if your heart won't throb for God like never before. It wasn't until I did a virtue test that suddenly I realized this woman is a beautiful woman. And the more and more I considered her virtues, the more and more prettier she got. But the truth of the matter is, there is one lover that outshines them all. And the more and more we consider his virtues, the more and more we consider his faithfulness, his character traits, his personality, who he is, his goodness, his loving kindness, his dependability, the more and more beautiful he gets. Psalms chapter 50 verse one says, out of Zion, God shines forth the perfection of beauty. We call it the beatific vision. Out of Zion, God shines forth the perfection of beauty. The more and more you consider God, the more and more beautiful he gets. And the more and more you worship and take time to consider who he is, the more and more your heart will throb for him, and you will be ruined for anything of this world, simply because God is so amazing. Everything that's good and beautiful and perfect and amazing in the world, anything that we crave, has come because it's a reflection of his goodness. It's only come because he's created the planet the way it's created, And he's put those stuff in us to yearn for those things that we now call beautiful. He really is our great God. Amen? So that's how my wife and I got together. Now, I want to tell you one more story um, about my family. While we have the photo up there. See that little guy, Anthem, up front? My youngest son? This past week, he made an amazing discovery. Amazing discovery. And um, the discovery was this. Is um, our little girl, Arrow... It was right around uh, eight o'clock at night, and I'm putting Pillar and Anchor to bed, doing their bedtime prayers. So I'm like, I'm in like Dad Commando mode, like, okay, you brush your teeth, put on your pull-up, open your bed, shabba, priestful night sleep, amen. Next one, you know. And and uh, meanwhile, my wife Kimberly, she's like, she's like scurrying around the house, like putting the toys away, like just cleaning up from the day, and then Arrow, who's, who's laying on the, the bed in our master bedroom, is kind of like, is kind of fussing. Eh, yeah, yeah. And so Anthem, being the nice guy that he is, gets up on the bed and decides to buy us a little bit of time. So he starts entertaining the little baby. So he's standing on top of the bed, dancing back and forth, and he, he starts singing. He's like, This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look, and he always put his finger, but surrounded by you. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit came upon him. And he grabbed this little toy guitar and he starts with his thumb. Sitting, sitting out, sitting down beside Arrow on the bed. This is how I fight my battles. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. And this went on for the next 45 minutes. The Holy Spirit filled the room, and all of a sudden, a couple times, he would like suddenly put his guitar. He would stand up. He would stop playing the guitar. Stand up. He'd spin. He'd spin around on top of the bed. God, I just prayed for your warrior spirit on Capitol Hill. This is how I fight my battles. And then he started like praying for the, the prayer requests of our family and stuff. At one point, he put his guitar down. He grabbed the Bible that was on the nightstand by, by the bed. He quick opens up the page because he didn't want to lose the rhythm, you know. And he's like, <laughs> and he just opened it up to the first page. He's like, and God said, let there be light. This is how I find my battles. <laughs> Meanwhile, the girls that are in the same room in the bunk beds, they start the pillar and anchor that I just put to bed, they began to sing along. And Anthem said, he's like, Dad, can the girls get out out of bed and start dancing? And I'm like, no, they're in bed. And then I thought, I'm like, wait a minute. You're the prayer leader right now, and you just said girls need to dance. So, okay, no, I'm changing my vote. Girls, you can get out and dance. So the girls get out of bed. They start dancing. I'm like, I start pacing the floor, praying in the spirit. Kimberly's now nursing Arrow, praying in the spirit as well. And the Holy Spirit descended upon our family. So much so that Anthem didn't realize that he wore a hole through the skin of his thumb. The Holy Spirit eventually he broke through, and the Spirit, the Spirit of God, lifted off of him. And suddenly he's like, "Ah!" And, like it was a blister that then it peeled off. And that night he's like, he went to bed with his thumb and a cup of water. This is how I fight my battles, you know. The next night, Anthem is laying in bed beside me as I'm praying for him to go to sleep that night. He's like, I said, Anthem, that was quite the night last night, wasn't it? Like, he's like, yeah, I could really feel God's spirit. And in that moment, I realized that my son, Anthem, at seven years old, had made an amazing discovery. And it was the same discovery that David had made when he was a young man out with his harp tending his father's sheep. And the discovery is recorded in a Psalm of David, Psalms chapter 22, verse 3, where David writes, the Lord inhabits the praises of his people. The Spirit of God comes when we praise the Lord. He lives in that place of praise. I could feel him tonight. Worship team, thank you for leading us. This Holy Spirit is here in this place feel the the spirit of God was in this is in this place but during worship there was times where I could feel waves of his spirit like that was Holy Spirit He's here right and so this is the amazing amazing discovery that the Lord inhabits the praises of his people so what we're doing in Washington DC with David's 10 is we're making a throne for Jesus. In the midst of our government day and night night and day the Holy Spirit of God which is the Lord Wherever he sits becomes a throne by virtue of the man sitting on it. He's inhabiting the praise. and Suddenly, the Holy Spirit can begin to move in our capital city because he has found a place to dwell. Amen. Okay. I want to go back to a little bit more story. I'm telling you a lot of story tonight. Um, Right after my wife, I should tell you this. In the two years that I got my heart broken and Holly didn't work out, (laughs) Those two years were also really, really hard years for me and God. I felt for two years that he was not speaking to me. It was a dark night of the soul. And I kept pursuing him. I kept reading the word. I kept journaling. I kept pressing in. But I'm telling you you guys, I felt like he wasn't speaking to me. Finally, I had this, this friend back in Pennsylvania that I noticed that whenever I would send them a letter, they would send a letter back. But if I didn't send a letter, no letter until I sent them one. So their correspondence to me was always only in reaction to mine. And finally, in the midst of that season, the Lord, the Lord kind of gave me a wink. He's like, Jason, I'm giving you an opportunity to pursue me. I'm pulling back to see if you're, you know, this, I'm giving you opportunity just to pursue me. Not, not just because then I'm going to speak back real quick, but just to pursue me. And for two years, I pursued him with all my heart. I went after him, but it didn't feel like he was speaking to me. And, of course, the other people around me, they're having dreams of Jesus, and, they're ha- like, miracles are happening, and I just feel like I'm in a desert. But I was being faithful. I kept serving God. I kept preaching the word. I kept, you know, and God would show up in times where, I've, where I'd be ministering to others and stuff. But then when it came to personally me and God time, it just felt dry. It felt awful. And all of a sudden... I began to speak about this this beautiful young lady up there. And it was like something switched in and and I was chasing God and now I began to feel like God was chasing me. And I'm like Whoa. So this is what happened. So right before we got married Kimberly was already in California at her home church, preparing for the wedding. I was finishing up a couple last things. With, for a couple weeks, we were separated right before we got married because she was getting ready for the wedding. I was back in Texas at the YWAM campus, finishing some missions assignments. And the day before, I was about to fly to California to get married a week later. I'm driving on this back road in Texas. And um, at our YWAM campus, there's this older lady. Her name is Tana Price. She had curly white hair, Texan lady, and fiery in the spirit. Every single group of people, every church, needs a fiery older lady, right? And so she was that. She was Tana Price. And so I'm driving down this this country road, and I see her car coming from the other direction. And she, like, winds down the window and flags me down. So I, like, put on the brakes, and I, like, back up my car. So we're now, like, talking in this country road in Texas. There's no other traffic. And so we're just, we're talking across the windows, and she's like, Jason, I just read this book called Red Moon Rising. It's about the 24-7 prayer movement of young people in Europe that are meeting together and doing 24-7 vigils, just seeking God's presence, and the fire of God is coming upon these young people. You have to get this book, Red Moon Rising. I'm telling you, Jason, you have to get it. And she rolled up her window and took out and I'm like... tumbleweed blow by. It's like I was talking to an oracle of the Lord, right? So she rolls out. I go to Texas. I get married, go to a honeymoon in Colorado, fly back to Texas with my wife, and we're about ready. We're there for about a week at our, at our, our newlywed spot where we're going to live in Texas, and a week later, we're about ready to get in the car to drive up to Pennsylvania from Texas to have a second wedding, re- wedding reception with my family that couldn't make it up to, to California. And right before we left, I remember, Tana told me, I have to get Red Moon Rising, got to get this book. So I went. the the YWAM um, campus had this little bookstore called Honey and Spice. It was kind of a bookstore, kind of not, but it had the book, Red Moon Rising in it, because Tana Price had just made him get it. So I went to Honey and Spice, picked up Red Moon Rising, and I get in my car, and I drive like the first 12 hours to Nashville, Tennessee, from Texas to Tennessee, and in Tennessee, we got some dinner, and then it's right about dusk. The sun's going down in the west, and Kimberly takes the wheel. I get in shotgun, and I, I reach to the back seat to pull out Red Moon Rising. And you know how books have a, have a forward at the front? It, it, the reason why the author is writing the book? I'm reading the forward, and my heart begins to go. And suddenly I'm beginning to realize that if I read this book, I mean, at this point, I was mature enough in the Lord to know that whatever the Lord reveals to us, we are then responsible to make choices in obedience to that revelation, right? Like that's And so at this point, I'm like, I'm reading just the forward, and I realize if I read this book, my life is going to completely change, and I will have to change so much about my life. And I don't know if I'm ready yet. So I took I took the book and I threw it down in the back seat. Like, didn't just read that. Didn't just read that, you know. And uh, and so the Holy Spirit's on me. I tipped my car seat back, the seat of my car back. And Kimberly's driving, and we're the sun's going down in the west. We're going east on Interstate 40, coming out of Nashville. And all of a sudden she says, Jason, look at that. And I open my eyes and on the horizon coming up over right in front of me is a full red moon rising. The Holy Spirit came on me. I was trembling, you guys. And I still didn't read the book. <laughs> you guys, don't tell me you're not. Yeah, that I'm more stubborn than you are. If you're half as human as I am, you know what I you know, right? God's working on you sometimes, and He's ch- God, you thought you were chasing God, and suddenly you realize that God's now chasing you, right? And so this is what's happening to me. So I get to Pennsylvania. I still haven't read the book. It's still in the back seat of the car. And my pastor at Hershey's Bendingite Church asked me if I would give the Sunday morning message. So, like any good wildlander, I go to the Lord and say, God, I don't just want to give a sermon. I want to ask you. Holy Spirit, what do you want me to speak on? And he says, do a Bible study on having a teachable heart. <laughs> so I did this Bible study on having a teachable heart. If you look in the first couple of chapters of Proverbs, there's like, these are all the, bit, long life, all the stuff are benefits of having a teachable heart. So I do and the, and the whole time I'm preaching at Hershey's Mennonite Church that Sunday morning, I'm thinking about the Red Moon Rising book in the backseat of my Toyota Corolla. And I'm like... So I get done, and I'm like, so, we commit to having a teachable heart. I mean, I told the church that basically, my clincher at the end was basically, if your church doesn't have a teachable heart, you should just close the doors now, because you're not going to go anywhere, <laughs> right? Like, that was kind of like the, the, I don't think I said it that brashly, but that was kind of my clinching moment of like, if you don't have a teachable heart, we're kind of wasting our time, Right? Is we're here to grow in the Lord, which means we're going to keep being taught new things in the Lord constantly. And so, so when we get, I get done preaching, I go home that Sunday afternoon. I pick up Red Moon Rising, now surrendered. My white flag went up. I'm like, okay, God, whatever this means for my life, I'm going to be obedient. And I couldn't put the book down. It was about the 24-7 prayer movement, started in Europe, these boiler rooms of young people praying. They began to pray in watches around the clock and suddenly people would just show up at their door, unsolicited, saying, can you tell me how to meet with Jesus? How do I get saved? Like, miraculous stuff started happening. And so I'm reading this book. I'm ripping through it. And I'm like, oh, God, you're calling me to prayer. So my wife and I, now as newlyweds, we, we, after the reception in Pennsylvania, we return to Texas and we commit ourselves as newlyweds to 40 nights of getting up from 2 o'clock to 3 o'clock a.m. in the middle of the night just to seek God's face. Sort of in response to this book, we're going to give God the night watch. So we'd set our alarms for like 145, 150. Then we get up, and we get in our Toyota Corolla. We'd drive for like a mile and a half over to the YWAM campus, and we had this little place called the prayer chapel. So it wasn't, it wasn't any bigger than the prayer room over here. It was, it was a small little prayer chapel. And, uh, but we, we had this thing with the Lord that we said, okay, we're going to start praying, and this is an experiment. Now, it's, we know it's not an experiment because we have faith, and we know that it's going to work out. But it was a little bit of a prayer experiment. We're not going to tell anybody What we're doing, and we're going to start praying that God will send people in the middle of the night to come pray with us without us ever telling anybody that we're getting up in the middle of the night. So the first night we go over there, 2 o'clock in the morning. We're ready. We go in there. All right, God, we're going to do prayer. We are prayer people now. Red moon rising. In the last days I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And the sun will be turned to, you know, that whole bit. The moon to blood before the coming of the awesome, terrible day of the Lord. And uh, we're pumped, right? And I get in there, and five minutes later, I look at the clock, and the second hand goes, tick. Ten minutes later, the second hand goes, tick. Ten minutes later, the second hand goes, tick. And one hour of prayer from 2 to 3 o'clock in the middle of the night felt like eternity. We had no idea what to do. The next night, it was awful. We're just trying to stay awake now. We're just pacing back and forth. And, and I'm like, the book said the night watch is super intimate with Jesus. It's amazing. And this stinks. <laughs> right? So the third night, I'm like, all right. God hears my voice. I'm going in talking. So the third night, I walk in. I'm like, all right, Father, the divorce rate in America, in the church, it's equal to the nun church—it's awful. God, won't you do something about that? And abortion—that's awful. Won't you? And the, oh, God, we need to reach the loss. And I just go down this litany of stuff, right? And actually, the time did go by a whole lot faster because it was quite entertaining. <laughs> and at the end of my hour, I was feeling pretty pumped. I'm not sure what Kimberly was feeling, but we got back in the car, we drove home, and I walked into the door of my house. And as I walked through the threshold, the Lord said, "Jason, what was that?" I so said, "I was praying." And he just said, oh. <laughs> so, so I sat down on the couch. Kimberly went to bed. I sat down on the couch and my, like, put my head in my hands. I'm just like, God, I don't know what to do. But I felt like he called me to this. The Red Moon Rising book clearly like, was all over me. You were pursuing me. I said, yes, And now this just stinks. And um, then he began to speak to me about repentance. And the next night I went in. Oh, well, I should tell you this. The next night we get up, It's now like the fourth night in, and we're getting in the car, we're newlyweds, uh, cell phones, like smartphones don't exist yet, you just a little reference point there. So um, Kimberly gets in the car beside me, and we're driving over to the prayer chapel, and she has a flashlight in her hand. And I'm like, what's the deal with the flashlight? But I didn't say it, because it's like 10 till 2 in the morning, and I, I'm not too talkative in the middle of the night. And so the whole time we're driving over there, I'm thinking, what in the world is this chick doing with a flashlight? So we get into the prayer room, and I go on one side of the prayer room and lay down underneath this conference table. And I'm like, okay, God, repentance. Here we go. Meanwhile, from the other side of the room, I, I hear this click, click from the flashlight. And I look over, and my newlywed wife is laying on the floor with a flashlight on her heart. And she says, Lord, test me and try me. Examine my heart and my mind and see if there's any wicked way within me. Conviction of the Lord fell on me. I said, okay, Lord, this is what we're doing, repentance. And, you know, at that point, like secular music, that was out of my life. Not going to the wrong movies, that was out of my life, but the Lord began to speak to me through the woes of the Pharisees that night as I'm just going through Matthew, I think it's 24 or 20, I don't know, 23 maybe. The way the woes of the Pharisees are just like, like I say clean the inside of the dish and the outside will be cleansed as well. Like, you know, like when the worship leaders up there leading worship and you totally criticize them in your heart, like things like that, like when you criticize your brother in your heart, think, and just the, the inward pride, like spiritual pride and pride of life and things like that. And so for the next couple of nights, Kim and I, basically, we just repented. God, we're sorry. We repent. Like, bring us back. And what happened then was, like, our daytime working hours at YWAM were a bit more consecrated because then we were more aware of walking in a holy life before God. Because knowing that if we didn't, we'd be repenting for that that night, you know. And so after a couple of days of repentance, the one night we were re- we were just kind of repenting, and all of a sudden, we got a burden to like from the Lord, legitimately to pray for her, her parents and her, her older brother, that at that point her older brother was not walking with the Lord. And we just began to intercede, and it was rich, and it was amazing, and we felt like we jumped into Jesus' prayer meeting for her brother. And an hour went by in five minutes. And from that point on, like every night we would walk in an attitude of repentance, Jesus tested, like, is there anything that we need to get right with you tonight? And the intimacy of Jesus would just come so close. The Lord is close to the broken heart, at a contrite heart he cannot deny. And so as our hearts got cleansed before God, his spirit would come in close. Again and again, an hour would go by in five minutes. And it really was everything that was written in the Red Rune Rising book. The presence of Jesus, his intimacy, would walk in the room, and we found ourselves looking forward to going back the next night. Three weeks in, 21 days into it, it's 2 o'clock in the morning. Remember, from the very beginning, we were praying, God, without telling anybody, we want you to start sending people to the prayer chapel to pray with us in the middle of the night. Three weeks into it, the 21st day, we get there at 2 o'clock in the morning. We're there for about maybe 30 seconds or a minute, and three guys come stumbling in the back door of the prayer chapel. They were students, at that point we were staff, Kim and I were staff, but these were students in the training school, and they were clearly out after curfew. So they walked in the door, and they're like, ah! You know, because they realized they were just busted. Right, so they're like, "Uh, uh, uh." They were like, no, it's okay, it was good. Okay. And Kim and I are like, why are you guys here? Now they're, th- now they're really thinking they're busted, because now we're asking them, why are you here? Right, and they're like, well, well here's, here's the thing. Um, We can't explain it. But for the last three weeks, every night at 2 o'clock in the morning, our whole dorm room has been waking up and we can't get back to sleep until 3 a.m. This has gone on for three weeks now. We leave for outreach tomorrow. The next day was when they were leaving for their foreign outreach. So we leave for outreach tomorrow. We are awake again tonight and a couple of us just thought, for a wake, why don't we go to the prayer chapel and pray for our outreach? And I thought, my, 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 my. Holy Spirit. Like, the guy's dorm was about a half a mile walk from the prayer chapel. By the power of God, even back when it felt like the heavens were like brass and ten minutes of prayer, you know, was only actually one second long. Like, Back then, even then, God was moving and the whole time. So there's three guys. We were like, well, let's pray for your outreach then. So Kim and I kind of joined with them. We had a one-hour prayer meeting. The one guy had just hurt his arm playing, like, football or something, like flag football or something that afternoon. It was in a sling. We prayed for his arm, and Jesus healed it on the spot. And he was able to go on outreach the next day without his arm hurting, you know, and um, they went on outreach the next day. A couple weeks later, Kim and I and our outreach team, we went back on the road, and I've never seen those three guys again. I'm looking forward. I believe at some point in my life, I'm going to be speaking this message, and, I'm going to, and one of the guys, one of the men in the back row is going to be like, that was me. I was one of those guys, you know. Um, but this is the thought that, came, that, that permeated my heart that night. God answers prayer, and this changes everything. God answers prayer, and this changes everything. It changes everything for me. It changes whole nations of the earth. It changes everything to know I ate the donut. I had experiential knowledge that God answers prayer, and it changed my life. Completely changed my life. It's, it's set into motion a groundwork for eventually the Lord to commission me to D.C. and raise up a 24-7 prayer movement there. Um, tonight I want to, I so that's, our, that's our, a little bit of our story of Kim and I. Um, I want to look at scripture tonight a little bit, a great story. Um, I think if there's, if there's any deposit that I would want to leave here with Elam, within each one of your individual lives that would go forward with your families, the rest of your life, as you get married, go into careers, whatever, if there's anything that I would want to leave a deposit in your life at the end of this week, if there's anything that I would want to leave as a deposit in this campus and in this body of Elam, here, it's, it's the culture value of living a presence-centered life. That our life is centered around hosting the presence of the Lord. It changes the way, as parents, we discipline our kids. We're not just telling our kids, don't do that because they shouldn't. We're actually discipling them. The Holy Spirit actually likes to dwell in a house where there's peace and joy and unity. And we want to create a place for the Holy Spirit to live with us in our home. We want the glory of God to be with our family. Therefore, discord, arguing, fighting, things like that. We're asking you, do not do that. It hurts the heart of the Holy Spirit. And so it's a completely different mindset. It's not just doing rules. It's, there's, there's a point behind it is we're creating a dwelling place for God, both in our hearts, our personal lives, but also in our corporate families. We're creating a dwelling place for God on our campus, and it's, it's all about hosting the presence of the Lord and really making, like, we're not going to leave this up to chance. We're going to make intentional choices to have a presence-centered personal life, family life, community, and with David's tent, our goal is to be, not leave it up to chance, but to be making intentional choices that even as a whole nation, we're going to be centered around the presence of God. And that's the prophetic, prophetic message of David's tent on the mall. And so we want to host God's presence. One of the great Hosting God's Presence stories is found in Mary and Martha, Luke chapter 10, I believe it is, if you want to turn there. And I want to take a look at Luke chapter 10. Luke 10, 38 to 42. I just feel like I'm too far away from you. God's an intimate God, and I want to be close to you guys. You guys are so much fun, by the way. I love being here. I'm like, man, I could do this for the next three years. Super fun. Um. Luke chapter 10, 38 to 42. Martha gets a really bad reputation from this story, but I want to redeem her a little bit tonight, if I may. May I do that? Okay. Martha chapter 10. Martha chapter 10. (laughs) Martha chapter 10. Luke and Mary. It's a wonderful story. All right. Luke chapter 10, 38. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha Welcomed him into her house. Everybody say, Martha, good move. move. If Jesus is coming through your village, Martha's like, Jesus, come into my house. You're welcome here. Good move, Martha, right? She often gets a bad reputation out of this story, but she was the one that got Jesus in the house in the first place, all right? So just (laughs) praise God for Martha. Verse 39. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to him teaching. But Martha was, okay, what's your, what's your translation say? Okay, everybody stand on your chairs. Everybody stand on your chairs. It's probably against the rules. Sorry, Mike. Stand on your chairs. Okay, Martha was, what, what was she? Okay, one more time. What was she? Okay, on the count of three, just repeat after me. We're just going to do this declaration prayer together. In the name of Jesus, In the name of Jesus spirit, of distraction, spirit of distraction, we rebuke you. We rebuke. Get, out of Get out of our lives. Get out of this campus. Get out of this campus. We, want Jesus. we want Jesus. Amen. Okay, you can sit back down. <laughs> Woo! That felt good, didn't it? (laughs) Man, I felt like I just got some deliverance out of that. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. That felt great. Thank you, Jesus. Okay. Back to verse 40 of the story of Luke and Mary from Martha chapter 10. All right, verse 40. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. I mean, okay, put yourself in Martha's shoes. You can totally get it, right? Like, she's doing all the fix-ins, she's washing the dishes, she's doing all the stuff, and suddenly she's she's like, Jesus, like like Barry's just like sitting there. <laughs> right? Here's the thing, you guys, she was serving. The Lord. Martha was doing the hospitality stuff to serve the Lord. She was serving Jesus. But this is what the Lord answered her. Verse 41. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. You know when God calls your name twice, he's pretty serious. (laughs) Samuel, Samuel. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening from the burning bush. Moses, Moses. Here we go again. The Lord says, Martha, Martha. God's going to call some of you guys by name twice. He's going to do it. He's going to call call you by your name twice. Be ready. Like, things will happen. He'll call your name twice. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing, everybody say one one thing. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion. Some translations say the better portion. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will never be taken away from her. You guys, time spent in prayer is never time spent, but time gained for all of eternity. You can't ever lose intimacy. It's with you forever. Those moments with the Lord are eternal and what, what Mary has done will never be taken away from her. Because once those words from Jesus' mouth find their way into Mary's ear, they, she will never be the same. And it will, she, those words will never be taken from her. Here, basically, Jesus is saying, like, Martha, you did a great job. You got me in the house, right? Martha, good job. Good job, Martha. Um, but what good is it having Jesus in your house if you're not going to have time of fellowship with him? What good is it to have the presence of the Lord with you if you're not going to take time to actually sit down and commune with him and spend time with him? Then he basically just becomes this sort of presence that's with you, right? But you're scurrying around doing all this stuff, and you're not ever taking time to actually fellowship and be in friendship with him, right? And this is, can be, such, this is the, can be the, the, the absolute undoing of very zealous, passionate missionaries, pastors. People doing incredible stuff for the Lord. And meanwhile, they've lost their personal fellowship with Jesus. The gifts of God are given without repentance. The worship leader can get up there and lead worship, and the Holy Spirit just fills the room. That doesn't mean he's being intimate with Jesus in his personal times. It means he has a ministry gifting, right? And so spending time at Jesus' feet, you guys, this is it. Effective prayer. If you want to take some notes, I'll give you a couple quotes here. Effective prayer is about his presence always. His presence is always the point. It's his prayer meeting that we're entering into, not ours. Romans chapter 8, I believe it's, he ever lives to make intercession for us, right? The Spirit is constantly groaning with intercessions. Our goal is just to enter into his prayer meeting and to be in his presence. Effective prayer is about his presence always. Effective prayer is about intimacy. It's about getting closer and closer and closer to the heart of the Lord, getting to know his virtues and his character. And the more you do, the more beautiful he will become and the more he will capture your heart. It's about intimacy always. So effective prayer is always about his presence. It's always about intimacy. Effective prayer is about faith, not formula. It's about faith, not formula. And so uh, just because you blew the shofar at the TV once and the president repented the next day doesn't mean you blow the shofar at the tv every day for the rest of your life like here's the thing with prayer you guys like i, I know it's introduced here as being like hey he's the prayer dude from dc but i'm not the prayer dude because every time you think you figure out prayer god changes the way he's going to speak to you he'll change his language he'll talk to you in a different way he'll invite you to approach him in a different manner. And because he's not about being a formula, he's a a real living being, and he wants to be approached as a relational God, right? And so it's not just about, like, you know, if I just, like, call, like, you know, FTD, deliver flowers, and just say, hey, listen, on the first of every month, for the rest of my life, deliver flowers to my wife, and just charge it to my credit card, click. How intimate, really, is that for my wife, a couple months in, right? Because I just ordered it up. It's just the same, right? But effective—it's about faith, not formula. And so it's approaching the Lord in faith, which may be different each time. Um, effective prayer is about the Word of the Lord, not technique. It's following His Spirit. This week I pray like, ring, go ring the bell. If you, I, I bet that felt good. I mean, you went out here like, ding, ding. I'm like, I bet that felt amazing. Just to step into obedience to the word of the Lord and then ring a bell, a really big bell at that mat, like that had to be awesome. <laughs> kind of want to turn. Anyhow, <laughs> um, it's about intimacy, not performance. <laughs> Man, you can't perform in the place of prayer. Um, that's what's great about the personal prayer closet is there's no performance there. <laughs> like there's no one else in there but you and God. You can't show off. You can try to show off for a little while, and maybe you can you can trick yourself to be in a, that you're a really really good saint for a couple months. But eventually, you're gonna you're gonna realize I'm being superficial. This isn't real, and you're gonna fall and break before God. And suddenly, the prayer closet will become really electric because now you're real, <laughs> right? But effective prayer is it's about intimacy. It's not about performance. We can It's not about performing religious duty for God. prayer is not about being professional religionists. It's about devotion. It's It's about passion. It's about pouring out our love on the Lord. Amen. Ultimately, prayer is relationship. It's not a religion. And you guys know this. It's about relationship with God. And prayer is always a meeting. It's a meeting. It's a meeting between us as human and God. Prayer is a meeting. Tonight, I want to um, end with this. this um, we're going to talk a little bit more about David another day. Um, but David wrote this psalm in Psalms chapter 27, Psalms 27.4. And in the psalm was the verse that Dan from the keyboard quoted this morning. This one thing I ask, this one thing I seek. That I would dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, and I will gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. What, what David's saying is, I have one thing on my bucket list. That's it. I have one aspiration in life. That's it. Like, what are your dreams? What are your goals? Like, where are your, where's your life heading? Just one thing. I just want to gaze upon God's beauty. And I know as young people, we can grow up dreaming. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're going to, you know, we have all these dreams that are out there. Um, But I want to invite you tonight to take an eraser to all your dreams. All your aspirations. All your goals. Some of them may have come from the Lord, and I'm asking you to do the Isaac and put them on the altar. Like, let him get. He can give them back if he wants. But for tonight, I'm asking you for this week, take a clean slate, take an eraser, clean slate. <laughs> From this day forward, I have only one goal. I have only one aspiration in life, and that is I want to gaze upon his virtues, his character. I want to do the personality test. I want to worship. I want my heart to burn. The more I look at him, the more beautiful he gets, I want my heart to burn for God the rest of my life. I want my heart, I want my eyes to be, my, the eyes of my heart to be consecrated to the beatific vision of beholding God. I want to be in fellowship with him. And everything else is clearly, not just kind of second, it's like miles down the road behind me second, behind that one thing. This one thing is everything I burn for, whatever it is, whatever it costs me, I'm going to run hard after God, and that's, that's my invitation for you tonight. Now, I could pull the worship team up here, and we could do a worship response team tonight, but I'm not going to do that tonight. I kind of actually feel like we're, we're just going kind to of, kind of wrap up tonight, because um, I, I actually feel like um, the reality, what, I'm, what I feel like is, is you know how I threw the Red Moon Rising book back in the backseat of my car? I, I considered it for a couple, like, for a little, like, what's this going to cost me to have a life that's consecrated to prayer? Prayer is just seeking God's face. Prayer is communion with the Lord in its simplest form. It's just going after God, right? So what's it going to be like to have a life that's committed to prayer the rest of my life? What's it going to be like in whatever thing he leads me to, whatever business, whatever occupation, whatever ministry, whatever I do do for God, what's it going to mean to have his presence at the center of that? Unashamedly hosting the Holy Spirit. It's a big deal because when God's at the center, nothing else can be. He won't share his throne with anybody, right? So I'm just going to pray for you tonight and just kind of like send you out on that thought And just let you kind of mull it over with the Holy Spirit. What's that mean for my life, Holy Spirit, to have you as the one thing? To have this pursuit of the Holy One as the aspiration. Not just this one week, at prayer week. But actually to have it as the aspiration of my life forever. Even after I die. Amen. (laughs) But forever. What's it going to mean? So so Holy Spirit, I just want to thank you. Uh, I want to thank you so much for that you are so beautiful. Um, when we see you for who you are, then we say yes. And, Father, we just want to commit ourselves. Uh, God, tonight I know that, again, I want to commit myself afresh and anew to the one thing. And as we kick off this week of prayer, God, we don't want to do it in any way superficially or any way half-heartedly. Uh, but, God, we want to fully, with all that we have, we want to spend time with you this week. And so, Lord, we—and not just this week, but for the rest of our lives. And so, Lord, I just want to pray that you would anoint the conversations that each one of us in the room right now we have with you be, from now to when we meet again tomorrow morning. That you just be anointing, anointing us. God, I pray you'd speak to us tonight in dreams. That even though we sleep, our heart would be awake. That you'd be communing with us tonight. Holy Spirit, call us away with you afresh and anew. God, thank you for this incredible team of laid-down lovers in this room. And God, I just believe tonight you're giving us a grace to say, yes, take us further, Lord. So God, won't you lead us there in Jesus' name? Amen.